Welcome to the Stolen Reality Podcast. This is where you belong. Alright everybody, welcome to the Stolen Reality Podcast. I'm Luke, I'm your host, and today is Saturday, March 18th, so it's the day after St. Patrick's Day. Hope you guys had a good and safe time yesterday, didn't get in too much trouble. If you want to learn about who St. Patrick actually was, be sure to catch my bitisode from yesterday I released talking about the real St. Patrick. Real quick before we get going, remember if you're on any platforms that allow you to rate the show, I would greatly appreciate it if you went in there and gave me a five-star rating, especially if you're on Apple iTunes, but also on Spotify or any other platforms that allow you to do that. It helps my show out immensely, helps me to grow, and helps it to feed to more user base. You can also follow me on TikTok and on Instagram at Stolen Reality Podcast. Or make a bunch of fun little promo videos. Since you guys are already listening, you hear most of the info here anyway. But they're fun to watch. I hope. I mean, I'm making them. So I hope they're fun to watch. Alright, let's get into this week's news stories. So first up, this comes from ScienceTimes.com. Antlers grown on mice through stem cell technology. Breakthrough demonstrates possibilities of humans regrowing limbs. So they took little stem cells and they put them on these shaved heads of mice... And they grew antlers on them. In this article, it talks about how antlers are among the fastest growing tissues in the entire animal kingdom. And they can grow up to 0.75 inches each day during the springtime. So I don't know if you know anything about deer, but deer drop their antlers every year and then regrow them. So everybody's seen pictures of bucks with giant antlers on top of their heads. Well, those things grow yearly. So they're very, very fast growing tissue. So they wanted to see if they could use this on other animals. And apparently they can. You know, stem cell research has been around for a little while, and it's pretty crazy the stuff they can do with that. It's pretty controversial sometimes still in in different circles. But the main point of this research and what they were talking about in this article is the ability to regrow bone and regrow human limbs even at some point down the road using this technology. So, of course, we're still a long ways off from that. But it's a pretty amazing first step that they did. You know, in Montana, we have this thing called the jackalope where somebody took, actually, I think it started in Wyoming, but they took antlers and they stuck them on a rabbit. And for a long time, it was thought of as a cryptid. People thought these things were actually running around. Um, I've never seen one in the wild. They might be out there, but you could buy them in a lot of gift shops and stuff or take where people take uh, taxidermied rabbits and then stick antlers on them. So it's, it's pretty fun, but it looks like those things are becoming a reality. And just like I've said in other episodes, maybe this is where we get these ideas of centaurs and minotaurs and all these other mythical creatures from the past. Maybe at some point there was an advanced civilization on the earth that was gene editing things because we're getting close to recreating all these all these animals out there. So every week I say it, but we're getting into a pretty crazy world here. It could be pretty exciting. But I'll have that article linked up, of course, on StolenReality.com, as well as all these other articles. So you can go in there and read it for yourself and see the advancements they're making in gene editing, essentially, and uh, creating new species by, by using these stem cells. Pretty crazy. And next up, this comes from Futurism.com. Scientists say they gene hack mice to double their remaining lifespan. So... Again, these little mice, these mice are our superheroes, right? We learn everything from messing with them. But a San Diego-based biotech startup, Rejuvenate Bio, is making claims that their technology was able to significantly extend the lives of elderly mice. 
So they injected programmed genes into the bodies of these senior mice and effectively doubled their remaining lifespan. Now, this uh, research is still kind of up for debate and people are scrutinizing it because it's a pretty, pretty wild claim. But a Japanese biologist came up with this technique in 2012 and actually earned the Nobel Peace Prize for it. Or not Nobel Peace Prize, I guess. Nobel Prize probably in, in science and gene editing. I don't know how many different <laughs> Nobel Prizes there are out there. But they, you, they do this by exposing the mice's cells to various proteins that are usually found in early stage embryos. So they take baby embryo proteins and they put them into older mice and they doubled their remaining lifespan. So on average... The ones that weren't injected with this lived for nine more weeks, and then the ones that were injected lived for 18 more weeks. So it effectively doubled their their lifespan, which is pretty amazing, if it holds up to more trials. Of course, this is just beginning stages. This is very early on. Like I was saying, people are still uh, pretty hesitant to believe that this will go any further, but it's a, it's a pretty big first step. And it kind of plays into all those crazy conspiracy theories about, you know... Um, vampires and the elites drinking the blood of children or or uh, using the endochrome off of children to keep themselves young because we're showing that you can essentially inject very young embryonic cells into older beings and let them live twice as long so maybe there is something scientifically to that i'm not advocating going out and eating your children but uh sacrifices need to be made no i'm just kidding don't uh don't cut that clip out and put it on the internet Gonna get a bunch of conspiracy theories surrounding me here soon if I keep talking like this. But I'll have that up on my website, read through it. It's pretty interesting stuff. And speaking of mice being crazy test subjects for all sorts of weird things that we do to creatures, this comes from nature.com. The mice with two dads. Scientists create eggs from male cells. So a proof of concept mouse experiment will have a long road before use in humans if possible. So they, I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory. They took cells from two males, they created an egg out of it, and then they put it into a female's womb and were able to have uh, babies that seem to be perfectly healthy coming out being created totally for men. Um, this is this is crazy, huh? <laughs> um, <laughs> don't want to go down any political talk roads here, but uh, I don't know when we start crossing lines here, people. All I know is that we may very soon create the ultimate man. You take John Rambo, you take John Wick, take John Wayne, apparently all these Johns, because all these action stars are named John, apparently. You mix all those, you put them in a woman, what do we have? I'll tell you what we have. We have Macho Man Randy Savage. So apparently this has already been done before because he's, he's been born. But uh, yeah, this is, this is just kind of crazy. I'll let you guys read through this article. I'm not going to... I'm not going to get into my personal thoughts about all this, um, but you know, it is, it, you can you can understand the implications that are going to come from this for same-sex couples and things like that being able to have babies. But we, I don't know what kind of uh, problems this will cause later on. Like what, like what does that do to the chromosomes? You know, um, you know, males have XX chromosomes, and I guess so. If you have two pairs of XX, and then you have a Another baby, obviously, it has to be a male, right? Because there's no Y chromosome to go into there. I mean, I, I'm not a geneticist, so I might just be talking out my ass here. But then what happens if you have two females? And also, I'm pretty sure that when you have messed up chromosomes, you have some pretty uh, debilitating disabilities as well. So is that something that's going to come into play? Is it going to start uh, having creating children with Down syndrome or something? I don't know. 
like I said, I don't want to go too much into this because I, I don't really know what I'm talking about, but it seems it seems really, really crazy to me. Um, but yeah, go in and read it. It is really interesting that we're, you know, mixing things up and, and altering nature this dramatically. But uh, looks like looks like we could do it. Science is something. <laughs> so I'll have this up on my site for you guys to check out. So speaking of animals, um, this one comes from beautyofplanet.com. Scientists find crows are capable of recursion, a cognitive ability thought to be unique to humans and other primates. So up until the early 2000s, um, well, actually up until recently, so in the early 2000s, prominent linguists, including Noam Chomsky, who I just love to say that name, but uh, always thought that only humans had recursion. In fact, they, that's what they thought kind of separated us from other animals. And then they found out that primates were able to do this as well. And now they just figured out that crows were able to do it. So what is recursion? Well, recursion is the capacity to recognize paired elements in a larger sequence. So essentially, the example they use here is the sentence, the rat the cat chased ran. So it sounds like a complicated sentence, but we understand that when I say the rat the cat chased ran, it was the rat who ran and the cat who chased. You can plot those two elements together separating them in the sentence well they found out that crows can actually recognize these structures that contain other structures of meaning as well um, so that's a very advanced linguistic technique essentially that we thought only we could do for a very long time and this just goes back to my very first episode that i ever did is uh crows messengers of the gods you know these things are super, super smart. They have advanced language and they're like as smart as a seven-year-old. So, you know, I think they would kind of watch over us. Imagine the messages that they can send to each other and the things they can tell each other about what they see all over the city. So make sure you're being good to those crows. Make sure you're being good all the time because they're always watching. But pretty amazing. They find out all the time about how uh, how smart crows are. And you should watch some documentaries on it sometime because they're, they're pretty incredible. And then this one comes from the New York Post. The Chinese citizens in the province of Liaoning, bet, that's, bet I said that right, were told to find shelter because it was raining worms. All these worms fell down from the sky. and There's videos and pictures of it, and there's just millions of these things. Um, they still don't know why exactly. The theories range all the way from heavy winds to whirlpools and, and storms picking them up and dropping them somewhere. Um, and then they still don't even know if these are worms. I don't know how exactly, but they can't decide if these are worms or maybe they're pieces of flour, like not, you know, baking flour, pieces of flowers that kind of look like worms that fall off as these flowers get older. I feel like that'd be a pretty easy thing to figure out. Uh, just ask somebody who was there if these things were wiggling. So I don't know why they, <laughs> I don't know why that's up for debate. But they're covered everything in these pictures. They're all over the cars and buildings, and people are walking with umbrellas as they're falling on top of them. And uh, at some point, I'm going to do an episode about things falling from the sky, because this is just a crazy phenomenon that happens. Sometimes there will be just loads of fish, like thousands and hundreds of thousands of fish falling from the sky in the middle of like a desert area. And the idea is that they get picked up from the ocean in these big storms and carried across the sky and then dumped. But sometimes it's just too far away for that to be plausible, in my opinion. Um, and then there's even a case of like chopped 
fresh meat that got thrown one time all over a city. Uh, so I, I don't know exactly what's going on with all these things, but can we say aliens? I'm, I don't know. Maybe they're up there experimenting with worms and they needed to, to dump them. But it's, uh, it's, it's insane. You know, hail can be damaging, but worms are disgusting. So that would be, that would be a fun thing to live through. But come on here, look at these pictures, check it out, see what you think. It'll be on the website. Hey, actually, I was just talking about how crows can understand advanced language. So all we need to do is talk to these birds and be like, hey, we found a spot that you guys should be hitting up right now and just send them over. And they'll, they'll feast, they'll clean the streets, symbiotic relationship, we make friends with the crows. This could be a start to a good thing. I like it. And then next up, this one comes from interestingengineering.com. Inspired by butterflies, researchers invent a new paint that has no pigment. So it goes through in this article how colors work and how light works. And essentially, usually how colors work is, um, you know, when light hits something, it absorbs all the colors except for specific light waves that it bounces back. And the ones that bounce back is what we see. And that's what a... a uh, color is right that's that's what a, a pigment is so usually they put pieces kind of chips of uh different colored things into paint that absorb the light and then reflect back the colors that they want and that's how they get the colors but now they're starting to do it a little bit different and they're modeling it after the the wings of butterflies and how they work and how they work from what i understand from this article anyway is that they have these little structures inside of them that reflect the light back in a specific way. So think of it more like when you shine a light through a crystal and it splits all the light into different colors. Well, it's essentially like taking that and then splitting the light back at you in a different way. So the reason why this is kind of uh, groundbreaking and important is that a lot of the things that they put for pigments into paints can be very toxic and dangerous. So these uh, wouldn't have those elements in them so they can create a much safer paint. And also, because it's reflecting light in a different way, it would keep things a lot cooler. So if you painted the outside of your house with this, it would reflect the heat in a lot of ways as well. They say that this is called plasmonic paint, and it uses nanoscale structure arrangements of aluminum and aluminum oxide to generate its hues. Now, you know, in the article, it talks about how this is going to be safer because it doesn't have the the destructive elements that some paint has but i'm also pretty sure that aluminum and aluminum oxide have been known to cause some health problems as well so who knows what we'll run into on that front but it is very interesting that they're doing this and that they're able to uh, figure out how to break down light like that and if you come on here and read this article it'll give you a little diagram and breakdown and show you exactly what i'm talking about with molecular absorption versus structural scattering, which are the two two kinds I was talking about, absorbing the light and reflecting parts back or scattering the light in different directions. So pretty neat stuff. Probably one step closer to, to you know, invisibility cloaking devices, which they already have. They're out there. That's not even, a, I'm not even making that up. They're definitely out there. I'll, I'll uh, put some links up sometime for those, but it's pretty neat stuff. And then next, we're going to sciencealert.com. For the first time ever, they have completely mapped a brain. Now, it's an insect brain. They did it of a larval fruit fly, um, but it took them 12 years, and it is amazing. They have fully mapped a brain. So even in the larval fruit fly, there was 548,000 connections between a total of 3,016 neurons. So 
Even the most rudimentary brains we can think of are very complex, and that is nowhere near a human brain, but it's one step closer to it, right? And it, and it's incredible because I, you know, I talked about this in a couple different episodes, including my one about uh, brain injury savants and my one with uh, government robots or alien greys about us trying to map the brain. And once we can understand it more and fully map it, the implications of that and the ability that we'll, we'll have to do like plug and play and one-to-one connections to different software and hardware and uh, robotics and just the amazing things that we can do once we once we map that and they've finally done this with these little tiny larval fruit flies so um, I don't know where they're going to take this research you know I did a, a <laughs> an article last week about how they're using birds as drones but now that they can fully map fruit flies they have full control over them so now you don't just got to watch the sky for those birds you better be watching out for little fruit flies walking around in your house and because they might be controlled by the government. No, not really. But it is amazing what they've done with these things. Um, and like I said, the implications are just unfathomable at this point. Because now that we fully can see a brain, the biggest thing I think that they're going to be able to do is start to see how consciousness works within that brain. Because we don't really understand how memories work and how... Um, even, you know, things like vision or smell really work in the brain because it gets separated into so many different places when you take in one of your senses. But now that they can map the entire brain of something, they can start to see how it gets spread out all over the place. Now, of course, you know, little fruit flies don't have the same uh, senses exactly that we do, and they're not nearly as complex, but it's, it's a step in the right direction, and I think it's pretty amazing. So good job to them. 12 years of research. Can you imagine spending 12 fucking years researching a fruit fly uh but hey it's that dedication that changes the world so good job team and next up this comes from popular mechanics it says that scientists confirm the incredible existence of time reflections now this is a very dense article and it's it's kind of hard to understand um fully but essentially what it's saying is that for at least 50 years we've thought that we might be able to reflect electromagnetic waves not just spatially, like not just actual reflections, but temporally, so through time. And they've been unable to prove this uh, forever until just very recently where they were able to use uh, metamaterial that they made in New York City and were able to successfully observe time reflections for the first time. So when I first saw this uh, headline, and I'm like, awesome, they like saw back in time. That's not really how it works. Essentially, how it works is, and this is, like I said, this is a very dense article, so it's, it's kind of hard to understand. But when you say you shoot like a laser at something and it hits something to reflect it, it sends it right back, right? It bounces back the other direction. But with this, it bounces back the end of it first. So it bounces the back back first. So it flips it into a different direction very quickly. Um, like I said, it's, it's kind of hard to picture in your head. They said that if we were to witness it and be able to observe it with our eyes, it would look like it maybe changing colors, like a red light wave all of a sudden turning green or turning blue or something like that. So it's not necessarily that it's seeing back in time. It's just kind of reversing it. And they said if you could, the best way to think about this is if you looked in a mirror, instead of seeing your face, you would see the back of your head, like you would start at the back. Uh, so it's not so much in time as as like flipping things around. And, you know, I was I was excited that they had created something where they could see into the past. But 
it's not quite that exciting to me, but to uh, these researchers, I'm sure it's even more exciting because what this means is that it, it's going to help out a lot in things like communication. Because if we can quickly change directions of signals, it, it just it increases our capacity for sending signals much quicker um, in, in a lot of different ways. So it's going to help out in things like computing and communications technology. So still very interesting. But if you see the headline that says that they have seen reflections in time, it's not exactly what you're hoping for. Although there is a story, this just reminded me of this, so I'll have to put this into my queue of the million things I need to do episodes about. There is a supposed story that a scientist working for the government at one time created a, like a TV that he was able to play back pictures of, like videos of the past in because data gets imprinted into the universe and he figured out a way to receive those transmissions. Supposedly, there's government documents around it and all this stuff. Uh, that's that's kind of what I thought they were going for here with the headline. But I'll, I'll look into that at some point and do an episode on it because I just remembered it. And I want to know what was going on back in the old dinosaur days. So we'll figure it out together. And speaking of time, this comes from ScienceAlert.com. Your heartbeat shapes your perception of time, study finds. So we all understand what time dilation is, right? Like sometimes... You're trying to get something done and all of a sudden, you know, you just lost an hour. And on the other hand, you're sitting there bored and five minutes seems like a day. So we understand that our brains kind of kind of build our perception of time. And they've tried to figure this out for a long time and long time. Huh? And uh, they for a lot of time thought that maybe it was how fast your brain was processing things or maybe your emotional state, or that, you know, they've had all these different theories. And I think all those play into it a little bit. But what they found in this study is that it's your heartbeat that actually sets the pace for your time. So they took a group of people and they hooked them up to EG scanners. And uh, they put the, you know, heart rate monitors on them and stuff that were very, very sensitive. And what they found is when they had a change in their heartbeat, it would change their perception of time. And it's not how fast our heart is pumping, it's how long the, the, beats of our heart's duration is so we know that our heart rate can go up and down depending on a lot of different factors right you have a heart rate increase but also how long the heartbeat actually hits like boom or boom you know is is a thing as well so what they did is they hooked all these people up to these heart scanners and then they played little tones for them that lasted anywhere from 80 to 180 milliseconds so very short tones into their ears and they found out that when there was a quick heartbeat, they perceived the tones as being longer. And when there was a long heartbeat, they perceived the tones as being shorter. So the researcher, so the researcher that did this says that the heartbeat is a rhythm that our brain is using to give us a sense of time's passing. And it is not linear. It is constantly contracting and expanding, which goes back to my uh, thing I talk about all the time, that time is not linear. And it's just this construct that we see. Because time isn't so much a moving thing as much as it is a stationary thing that we're moving through. So uh, that, that gets into a lot of different different things we could talk about. But it's crazy that, that your heart rate has the guiding factor to your perception of time. They also found that it's kind of a two-way street though. So when they heard a quick tone, they would focus their attention on it and it would change their heart rate. So time and our heart rate, which causes our perception of time, are very closely related which in my mind says, okay, so our attention does have a weighing on how our perception of time as well. So I think all these things kind of play in together, you know, how, how much information we're taking in, how much we're focused on it, and then 
our heart rate seems to be kind of the metronome that keeps pace of everything. So maybe if you can learn to slow down the, not the heart rate, but the actual beats of your heart or speed up the beats of your heart, maybe you can change your perception of time at will. That'd be pretty crazy, right? You want to be able to have a little more time to do your homework or something and you can change your heart pace and then feel like you have an extra hour. I don't know. I'm sure we can, I'm sure they'll design something to be able to do it here not too long. They just mapped the brain of a fly. That's... <laughs> That's the first step. But time is something that, that interests me a ton. In fact, I was planning on doing yesterday's bitisode about cause and effect in a nonlinear timeline. I mentioned that last week, but then I realized that it was St. Patrick's Day, so I did it on St. Patrick. But that will be my next week's bitisode is talking about time not being linear and uh, what that might mean for us. And then next up, this comes from BigThink.com. The mathematical explanation for spontaneous synchronization. So spontaneous synchronization is a, a very interesting thing. So it, originally, the first time that somebody noticed this was back in when was it, 1665, when a man created pendulum clocks. And he found out that when pendulum clocks get close enough to each other, they match up with each other. So, you know, the tick back and forth where it swings back and forth, tick, tock, tick, tock. Well, if they're out of rhythm and they're ticking all over the place... Within a short amount of time, they'll start ticking together. And there's been all sorts of crazy experiments done with this, like with metronomes. If you put metronomes close enough to each other, they'll start to go into rhythm. And crickets match up with each other and all these different things. But one of the biggest things and why this is so interesting to me is that it happens to neurons in the brain. And it can happen in large groups of people. And it, I think it's very much responsible for things like mass hysteria and also for groupthink. Right. If you have four million people living in a city and we have this spontaneous synchronization, imagine how people's heartbeats and emotional states and brains are matching up. Now, obviously, we're individuals and they don't match up 100 percent. But when you have these things kind of synchronizing, I think it, it is uh, if we can understand that. And I'm sure that there's people out there who do understand that could be used for very good or for very bad things. Right. Um you know, there's there's something to be said for the power of healing when a lot of people come together and pray or meditate or send good vibes, quote unquote, to somebody. There's something to be said for that, you know, because we can if everybody's projecting something towards one direction and we have this synchronization, uh, we can we can kind of put that onto something else. And that can be either a very good or a very bad thing, depending on how it's used, you know, look at things like a certain party during World War II that was able to get a whole country to think the same way and do horrible things. So obviously, uh, there's there's good and bad things for this. But the article here is kind of disappointing. So scientists say they figured it out. But what they figured out is it takes two things for this to happen. One, you have to have something that has a repetitive sequence, like neurons firing over and over again, or a pendulum swinging back and forth, or a quick cricket chirping over and over again. So that's stage one, is to have a repetitive cycle. And two, you have to have something to bind those cycles together. So in the case of like the crickets, they say that it's them listening to each other, that the crickets listen to the other one and then they sync up. And the, the, the stronger that bond is, the more it's going to sync. So the more they listen to each other, the more they're going to sync those together. I don't, I, I don't think that that's what's going on here. I mean, you know, it's not my place to argue with these scientists, but fuck them. 
the because uh, that doesn't explain things like the metronomes and people syncing up outside of their body. It explains your brain syncing up within itself, but not outside of itself. I think that it comes much more down to a quantum and vibrational level. I think everything's putting out vibrations at all times. I think we're all connected to that same electromagnetic and quantum and thought essentially field and that everything you do and everything you think and everything you feel and everything that happens sends out vibrations and those vibrations sync up with each other. That makes a lot more sense to me. If you drop a little rock and a big rock um, into a pool of water, those ripples are going to hit each other and they're going to have a very large effect on each other. And the bigger the ripple, the more effect it's going to have on the littler one. That's how I see all this working. It makes a lot more sense to me. I didn't go to school to be a scientist, but I have a podcast and I'm pretty sure that makes me more credible, right? Right, guys? You, you agree? Good. You agree. But it's a really interesting article. Read it. Um, I'll do a, an episode on synchronization at some point and on synchronicity in, in general because synchronicity is when you have these events that occur on large scales with seemingly random events, right? Like you see a red truck, you associate it with fire, next thing you know, your house lights on fire, things like that. Those are called synchronicity. That was a horrible example but where you have this synchronization of life itself. And I, I very much believe that that happens. So anyway, check it out. And then this next one comes from the archaeologist.com. A 40,000-year-old bracelet discovered in Siberia may have been crafted by an extinct human species. So they found this beautiful like jade bracelet in Siberia, and um, they thought that it was 40,000 year 40, years old, but it turns out that it might be closer to 65 to 70,000 years old, which, like I keep on saying, would completely rewrite the timeline of human history because we don't think that we had technology to do things like this back then. And when you look at this thing, you know, it almost looks machined. It's, it's very well made, obviously. And so either we had much better technology back then than we think that we did and that we let on, or, like I keep saying, there was an advanced civilization on the Earth that predates us and that we don't talk about. I think that's what I'm going with on this one. You know, in Eric Von Daniken's first book, The Chariot of the Gods, I don't know if it's his first book, but his one of his older books, Chariots of the Gods, um, he says that we need to start a field of study for all these out-of-place artifacts because we find things like screws embedded in a piece of coal that's supposedly 30 million years old or a footprint that doesn't uh, that's in rock that shouldn't be there or a hammer that predates human civilization by a million years or something like that. We find these things all the time and since they don't add up into the timeline of human history that we agree upon right now they just throw them into basements of these big museums and they don't do anything with them they just get ignored so he you know was saying that we need to start studying these things well just recently within the last couple of years i saw that you can go to school for uparts or for out-of-place artifacts which is awesome it's amazing because we can start actually studying these things and plotting where they go together because if we take all these and this was kind of uh, von daniken's the whole theory behind his book is if we take all these little pieces and plot them together where we think they actually go, it would completely rewrite the timeline of human history. Um, something else has to be going on, whether there was a different civilization on the earth or our human history just dates back much, much farther than we understand, or our dating methods are just completely 
unusable because all these things just don't add up. So people are finally starting to study these, and, and that's awesome. That's that's great. Uh, I'll, I'll do an episode on Uparks at some point because there's a ton of really cool stories of people finding things, I got to say, in like a fossilized stone that they bring in, and they're like, oh, it's, you know, 40 million years old. And then they drop it on the floor, and they actually break it open, and inside of it is like a wing nut. You know, it's just really crazy shit that people find. And it happens. It happens pretty regularly, actually. And uh, these things get not talked about because we would have to rewrite a lot of stuff. And that's a lot of work. Um, But check out this bracelet. It's cool. It's pretty. Get it for your girlfriend. Go steal it from the museum. Pull it Ocean's 12. Whatever you got to do. And speaking of discoveries and archaeological finds, uh, terrifying plastic rocks found on remote Brazilian islands. This comes from NBCNews.com. You can read through the article and see exactly how this all comes together. But essentially what happened is plastic, which is mostly getting put there from people's fishing nets, is getting broken apart on the bottom of the ocean and then coming back together and embedding itself into rocks and creating these stones. So when they go along these beaches, which these beaches are the nesting habitat for sea turtles, which are endangered, which is really sad, they find that these rocks are like made of plastic. They're finding plastic rocks. So we have caused so much pollution that we are literally making rocks now. (laughs) So that's pretty shitty. Um, I wonder how many... Things that we think are natural now could have been remnants of pollution from an old ancient civilization. Probably none. I think that they took better care of the earth than we do. But uh, it'll be interesting, you know, 10,000 years from now after we wipe 90% of the population off the planet and civilization restarts when they look at these rocks and and wonder where these non-organic compounds came from that are floating around in the ocean and sitting on their beaches all over the place and poisoning people. I said a week or two ago about an article where it was saying that the like 99% or something like that of animal species now have plastics in them to the point that they have irreversible damage from chemicals caused by humans. So I think we're, we're hitting a tipping point here, people. Maybe get with some renewable resources and some uh, renewable energy. Now, I'm not a big fan of the whole green movement just because the green movement, I think, is just a political ploy to get people to uh, pay more money in different directions and be able to virtue signal for a lot of different things. But I am a fan of free energy technology that they have and renewable resources that they have and all these things that they have where we could have this perfect, beautiful, free world but they will never actually let those come out because the people who are pushing for things like, you know, making the world a better place don't really want the world a better place. They want to keep it under their control. So I'll talk about free energy technology and stuff at some point because there's a lot of it. It has been around for a long time. There's even anti-gravity. I mean, there's there's all the things that you could possibly think happen in a sci-fi movie. They exist. I I promise you that. They just don't want you knowing about them because if everybody had access to everything they needed they'd be pretty tough to control so it's unfortunate we don't have a lack of resources we have horrible management rant over next up this comes from psychology today great apes alter their mental states by spinning rapidly we're not alone in inducing highs so essentially what they're saying is that apes like to grab onto uh, big vines and spin themselves around really fast 
and kind of get themselves tipsy. And this article goes into all these actually really, you should read this article. It's a really great article uh, going into all these questions about what does that mean? Like, are they trying to experience altered state of consciousness? Are they just playing? You know, they do a lot of things that we would consider would consider like really deep, you know, like they go to the edge of a waterfall and they'll do this like beautiful waterfall dance to the waterfall and then they'll sit and watch it and like contemplate things. So we associate different states of consciousness with religious experiences and humans. And they're saying that these apes are kind of doing that as well. Um, and that's, I think that's amazing. Uh, they, they probably are contemplating spirituality and things. I just saw, I, mean, I just saw, uh, a video the other day of there's this dog and her name's Bunny and I've been keeping track of her for a while because they have these buttons where you could get them for your dog and they they talk for your dog and you can teach them for things so like it'll say outside and they can click it when they want to go outside which I think is awesome but at the same time if I gave that to my dog all it would do is just click outside over and over again that's all she wants to do because she's a husky but this dog Bunny has been you know one of the first dogs that they tested this on has been doing it for a very long time and she's starting to kind of question her own existence. She's clicking things like, what is Bunny? What is Bunny? And then, you know, people will be like, oh, Bunny's a dog. And she'll say, sad. Bunny, human. Sad. What is Bunny? You know, so and then she'll she'll like they in one of the videos, she goes, what is Bunny? And they're like, what do you mean? You know, and she goes, what is this? And she went over and looked in the mirror. Um, It sounds crazy. It sounds far fetched. But, you know, they. I, I think we don't give animals near enough credit for how smart they are and how much they're uh, how much they can contemplate. Like I was saying earlier, you know, we just mapped the brain of a fruit fly for the first time. We're not even close to understanding how brains and how consciousness works. And when we give something the ability to communicate, they start showing much more what we would consider human emotion. Like when they taught chimps sign language, all of a sudden they started having much deeper conversations, obviously, because you're giving them a tool to do that. And language is a huge part of developing our brains, like I talked about in my last uh, What A Week episode. But it's really interesting. Uh, Read this article about how apes like to alter their states of consciousness. What this says to me is that they like to spin and get a little tipsy. And we do know from humans that kids who like to spin around a lot when they're kids have a higher probability of becoming alcoholics later on uh, because it shows that they like to kind of lose control a little bit and experience altered states of consciousness so here's what i'm proposing we go to the jungle we open a tiki bar we sell to the apes and we're gonna we're getting rich that's i mean we're getting rich in bananas and they'll probably throw some poop at us but it's an untapped market let's get it entrepreneurial spirit And then next up, this comes from DailyMail.com. World's first robot lawyer is being sued by a law firm because it does not have a law degree. So this this is a pretty fun one. Uh, A company created an AI robot. And this company that created it, um, it was called Do Not Pay. And they made it in 2015. They made their company in 2015 to teach people to appeal parking tickets, which you want to get me on a rant about the true meaning of fascism and governments working with private industries. The parking commission is a racket. I mean, to the thousandth degree, I have had my run-ins with them for a very long time. Uh, in fact, maybe I'll do a bit of soda about how the parking commission actually works at some point, because it's not a government agency. It's not a law. They're a private industry that takes your money 
and locks your car up even though you're parking on a public road that you're already paying for with your taxes and if you don't pay them then they work in cahoots with the police which is a government agency to then come and arrest you so they force you to pay them as a private industry with with threat of force which is racketeering and uh you know it's mob rule anyway this guy started this company yeah i got a lot to say about that i'll, I'll do an episode at some point but anyway this guy started this company in 2015 trying to teach people about this and from there, he kind of spread it out and uh, started giving people legal help and legal advice uh, to kind of know your rights. You know, it's one of those websites that you should know as many of your rights as you can so that you're as well protected as possible. And uh, he recently created an AI robot using all these new chat style, GPT style things that are coming out and was going to, it was going to represent somebody in court coming up here pretty soon. But then this law firm came out and was like, well, this robot doesn't have a law degree and shut him down and, and threatened jail time on him. So the guy pulled the project. Uh, pretty funny <laughs> on a lot of ways. I mean, on one hand, you could see how it could be kind of reckless if it gives bad legal advice. Um, but on the other hand, you know, it's, it's probably going to give better legal advice for one thing because it doesn't have any emotion attached to it. I think if there's one place where we should... Uh, apply things like ai and taking emotion out of things you know the law is probably one where it wouldn't be bad and uh well i guess that could go bad as well but anyway the other thing that's kind of funny about it is that you know they created this whole company to protect people against bullshit laws and lawyers and corporations and then this big law firm files a class action lawsuit <laughs> against them saying well you can't compete with us so uh yeah, it's another one of those things, you know, in my AI episode, it's like, where are we, where are we going with all this stuff? And where do we start crossing lines? Like we create a robot lawyer and all of a sudden he's getting sued because he doesn't have a law degree. Does that robot lawyer have to go to law school now? I'm sure he could just download the information and, and pass the law test in literally a half a second. So is that what they need him to do? I don't know. It's crazy stuff. If I, uh, get in trouble for something I say on this podcast, I'll hire a robot lawyer and tell you guys how it goes from my jail cell. And last up, this comes from independent.com. Influencer who married herself considers divorce after 24 hours. So <laughs> this online influencer, Sophia Mauer, Mower maybe, I don't know. She's 25 years old and she announced uh, like a month ago that she was going to marry herself and everybody thought, oh, she's just trying to get publicity. Well, she went and married herself and then 24 hours later said, update, one day I'm married to myself and I can't take it anymore. I'm seeing how the divorce issue is just in case. So it just goes to show that even a woman can't marry and live with herself with another woman for more than 24 hours. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I had to. The, uh, I mean, from the beginning of this episode, I talked about them creating male, creating babies from two males. I mean, pretty soon, I guess we won't even need women just as uh, surrogates. But then they could just put them in a test tube. <laughs> I don't know. I love you, ladies. I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm just messing around. I just thought it was pretty funny, pretty ridiculous, actually. But uh, makes me feel a little better about my 
marriage falling apart. <laughs> it's not just me. All right, guys. On that wonderful note, I hope you had a great St. Patty's Day yesterday. I hope you guys were all safe. You probably hung over. Um, so listen to some podcasts, get some rest, drink some Pedialyte, you know the spiel, and have a great rest of your weekend. I will be back on Monday for the what are we, or for uh, Mindset Mondays, and then back on Wednesday for another episode. Thanks for listening, guys, and have a great weekend.